When I was 17 years old, I started going to church. I remember meeting John Wentz. Uh, John Wentz was the man who would eventually become my first Christian mentor. And I remember being in his Sunday school class and hearing him talk about the cost of discipleship from the Gospel of Luke. And I remember just being so surprised and feeling so out of place. I had no background for this to sound familiar to me. And afterwards, I, I remember saying something, thanking him for class, and, and he handed me a Bible. And he said, this is a good book, Clayton. You should read it. Now, he meant the Gospel of Luke that we had just been in, but me not knowing anything about the Bible, I misunderstood him. And so when I opened it, I saw what looked like two books, an old and a new. And so I went home that week and I went about reading what I thought he'd ask me to read. And, and so the next week, I, I asked him if we could talk because I was very, very confused. And I remember realizing that, that I had done something silly when I saw a look on his face go from surprise to amusement to laughing out loud when I asked him, why are the same stories about Jesus stacked four times in a row? And what in the world is Paul talking about? I, I couldn't make heads or tails of Paul. I'd gotten all the way to the book of Revelation. I stopped, not because I ran out of time, but because I was kind of afraid and very deeply confused. I, I remember at the beginning for me, reading scripture was that way. I just kind of devoured it like a starving person who'd come upon an all-you-can-eat buffet. I remember that. And in a very real way, that, that was exactly what I was, a starving person who suddenly found food. And then something happened. Eventually, that fervor that I had when I, when I just tore into Scripture at the beginning, eventually that cooled. And I'd heard about the importance of devotion so many times, but I just could not find a good way to set a stable, consistent practice. And I'd often forget until just before going to bed, and then I would, I would have my entire devotional practice be a one or two sentence prayer before I fell asleep. I remember often I just kind of giving up, God, I pray for all seven billion people on the planet, amen. And for a long time, that's where I was. And then I remember later on, John Wentz and I, we used to meet at Hardy's on Tuesday mornings, and he would mentor me, and he, he sat down across from me one day, and he said, Clayton, how are your devotions? And I felt this terrible shame, but I was honest with him. And he didn't lash out. He didn't accuse me of anything, of not caring about Jesus. He just, he just nodded. And then he worked with me to make a plan, and by God's grace, that plan stuck for a long time, and my life has never been the same. Now, my devotional practices, they go in ebbs and flows. They come and they go. They get, they get richer and deeper sometimes, and at other times, they're shallower and shorter. I still have highs and lows times. There's sometimes that the presence of God is so clear that I want nothing else than to dive into the word and stay there for as long as I can. There's times where it seems like every single verse I read is God speaking specifically to me and deeply into my soul. Those times do happen. They're rare. There are other times too. 
Right now, my morning devotional practice takes me about 45 minutes to pray and to read scripture. And there are times that I sit at my computer fighting hard to summon the will to open up my Bible app and to get started. And sometimes I lose that fight. I want to talk to you about reading the Bible today. This message is specifically for some of you. Those of you who don't have a regular devotional practice, this message is for you today. For those of you who do, I hope that you'll still find something nourishing in this. I'm confident that you will, but you're not who this message was written for. There's there's kind of this pastoral calculus that goes into preparing a message like this one. Because we want to avoid pushing too hard. Because if we push too hard, then then what tends to happen is when you push a person, they move away, right? I don't want to do that. At the same time, I don't want to pretend that something is less important than it is. This morning, I decided to push a little bit. If you're uncomfortable or bothered, I really, I I think that's okay. If you're offended, then I'd encourage you to come and talk to me about it afterwards. I don't think you'll be offended after we get a chance to speak about it. But I am going to push a little bit today. So if you don't have a regular devotional practice, this message is for you. And I usually find that when that happens, it happens for one of two reasons. The first one is that a person might not think it's that important. That's never what they say, but I think that's at the core. That I just don't think a devotional practice is that important. Or the other possible reason is that they don't think that they're capable of understanding. This book is big, and it's got a lot of different kinds of writing in it, and it's just so hard to make heads or tails. And and the, the reasons people don't have a practice usually boil down to one of those two reasons. So I want to talk a little bit about what devotional Bible reading is. I want to talk a little bit about what it's for. And then we're going we're gonna to talk through those two objections. Now, you might be thinking that you do devotions, but your devotions just aren't Bible reading. Good. Hear me. Pray every day. I'm not going to talk to you about reading the Bible instead of praying today. Or maybe you have a practice of service. Or maybe you go for walks and spend that time with God. All those things are good. I'm not trying to replace them. I want to add to them. I am absolutely convinced that every Christian is called to regular time in the Word of God. And that's what I want to convince you of this morning. So, we're in this series about about eating with people. And and I I want you to know we're not deviating from that theme today. Eating together is exactly what we're talking about. It's what we're eating together. It's going to be a little different this morning. So please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 to 11. Revelation chapter 10, verses 9 to 11. If you like to highlight or circle or draw attention to anything in your own Bible, this is one of those passages to have highlighted. Now the book of Revelation, it's it's different than anything else in the Bible. It's the written down vision that was given to John the Apostle when he was in exile on the island of Patmos. 
And at one point in that vision, he's called to go to an angel and receive something from him. And so that's what we're reading. Revelation chapter 10, starting with verse 9. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Now you might be wondering what in the world this has to do with Bible reading. I promise it's relevant. I think that the biggest obstacle, the biggest obstacle to Bible reading comes from not understanding its purpose. We often think that we're supposed to read for information. We're supposed to learn the facts in the book. We're supposed to know the stories. And somehow that's kind of the purpose of our devotional reading. Right? We want to, there's a story about how God has been working in and through sinful humanity to redeem them all throughout human history. That story is recorded in the Bible. And we want to know and learn that story. And that's absolutely important. Hear me, that's important. Knowing what Jesus said or what Paul said on a certain topic is very important. Reading to learn is important. But it is not, I'm convinced, the primary purpose of reading your Bible. If it was, then once you knew the story, there'd be no reason to keep on reading. Right? Once you, once you got the story down, once you knew the books of the Bible, there'd be no reason to continue diving in. Or once you realize that the story was just too complex, too big, too much, that you were never going to get it, well, then it'd be hard to find a reason to try what you know is going to fail over and over again. But yes, reading to learn is important, but it's not the primary purpose of reading Scripture. I'm convinced the primary purpose of reading your Bible is formational. It's about transformation. The Bible is the source material that the Holy Spirit uses to change you into the person that God wants you to become. You see, reading to learn is about the brain. It's about learning facts, right? But, but formational reading is about the heart. It's about the whole person. It's about reading scripture with your entire life. It's about you coming into confrontation with the Lord of the universe and spending time in his company. It's about getting the word into you like you get food into your stomach, where it can nourish you, where it can affect every single part of you and your life and your relationships. There's a word for this kind of reading, reading more about formation than about information. In our English Bibles, it's usually translated as meditate. Over and over again in the Psalms, we see it in other places, we're called to meditate on God's Word. Now turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. God is speaking to Joshua, and he's giving him kind of a pep talk. You see, Joshua has just taken over for Moses. Moses is gone Joshua has to lead God's people, and these are the biggest shoes you could ever be asked 
to fill. Moses is an absolute hero of the faith. And Joshua is a righteous man. In fact, among Old Testament leaders, he seems to be the only one we have for any length of time that doesn't ever really mess up, that always responds to what God asks him to do. So he's faithful, but he's scared. And here at the beginning of Joshua chapter 1, God tells him a few things. And usually we remember verse 9. In fact, some of you probably know Joshua 1.9 by heart. It's the, the verse about courage. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? And that's a good, good verse. But just before it is Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. And if you're, if you're circling again, if you're highlighting again, I would circle that word, meditate. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Now, I realize that the word meditate does not spurn any great excitement for you, right? We don't hear the word meditate and think this is going to be good. Maybe you do. If you do, good for you. But most of us, most of us don't. But don't worry. This word doesn't quite mean what comes into mind for us with that word meditate. The Hebrew word is tough to translate. But the closest meaning is growl. You might wonder, why in the world would they translate growl as meditate? Well, you think about the kind of growl we're talking about. My, uh, my wife and I have been blessed to take in a dog. His name is Gunner. He was my dad's dog. He's a big dog. We have Sophie. She's a little dog. Gunner is, is more than 10 times her size. And so they're, uh, they're good friends. But Gunner doesn't really get bones anymore. He has teeth issues. But when he was younger, he did. Dad would give him bones to chew on. And I always think it, thought it was interesting when he got a bone. And if you've ever seen a big dog get a bone, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Dad would give it to him, and first Gunner would put it in his mouth, and he'd kind of prance around with it, right? He'd be excited. He'd even want to come up and show Dad the bone, even though Dad had literally just given him the bone as though Gunner had discovered something special. And then Gunner wanted to go somewhere where he couldn't be seen, right? He wanted to kind of hide, with that bone, and he would set it down on the ground, and he would lick it, and he would chew on it, and he would growl. You know the kind of growl that escapes your mouth when you've just taken a really good bite of steak? Mm. You know the, the, the sound you make when you eat that piece of chocolate, and it's just perfect? I'm not going to make that one, but you know what I'm talking about. You know that sound? That's this word growl. The best word to say is meditate, but that's not exactly what it means. Now, when you, when you read scripture like that, when you treat it as a, as a, as a, as a meal, when you, when you spend time with it, like a dog does a bone, it's not sitting in a Sunday school class and memorizing lessons. It's, it's something else. It's getting into you and changing you. And when you do that, you're going to find that something starts to happen. Scripture will tug at you 
when you read it this way. It's going to make you uncomfortable. You see, you can learn about some of these stories that are difficult or some of these teachings that are hard. And if you just learn about them, they don't always make you confront them. But when you dwell, when you chew on them, when you really work on getting them deep inside of you, you cannot help but deal with them, confront them. And if you've read much of the Bible, you know that there's things that are difficult or uncomfortable or make you confront them. You cannot read much of Jesus before he says something that's really, really hard. Jesus, did you really mean that wealth is bad? Like, are you sure? Because I, I, I don't like that very much. Or, or Jesus, when you describe what kinds of people belong to you, do, do you really mean all of that? He makes, you, he makes you uncomfortable. And you have to chew on it. Get it inside of you. Really let it tug at you. Or maybe you read the book of Deuteronomy and you, you see the fierceness that God shows towards sin as his heart is revealed and you realize that a lot of the times we put that aside, but God is terribly bothered by our sinfulness. And then we think to ourselves, but wait a second, that's me. And you have this moment that you'd rather put away and not have to think about, but instead you're stuck in the middle of this meal. Sometimes it's honey. Sometimes it's sour. Now, some people might look at those times and think that they're times to pull away. I'm uncomfortable. Jesus just said something I can't quite take. I don't know what Paul means there. What in the world is the book of Leviticus doing in the Bible? We might have those times and think that's time for us to pull away. To slow down to say, I don't know what kind of crazy people read this all the time, but it's not for me. But you should never, ever let yourself do that. Don't let scripture scare you away. You need to growl over it for a while. You need to chew and gnaw on it for a while. There's this story in Genesis chapter 32 where Jacob, he's getting ready to go and, and, and meet his brother Esau. And he's expecting it to go very badly. If you know the story, you know that Esau has reason to be very, very upset with Jacob. And so he, he kind of makes camp in that last night. And as you're reading the story, this, this bit just jumps out of you with no warning. And it just randomly says, and a man came and wrestled with him till morning. When was the last time you were out camping? And all of a sudden, someone comes up to you and you wrestle together until morning. Like, that's, it's such an odd, odd story. But then as the sun is rising, the man tries to escape. And Jacob realizes that he's wrestling not with another man, but with God himself. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And God, in his infinite mercy, doesn't smite him right there. And instead blesses him and then wounds him as a reminder that he... And not Jacob, is God. They wrestle. They wrestle. Sometimes scripture is that way. 
You know, one of the things about Bible college that was so interesting was to see the two different types of people. There were some people that learn enough and they begin to doubt some of the things that they'd been told or they, they begin to question some of the things that they'd heard. And you see that happen too when people spend enough time reading the Bible. There will be things that make you question. And some people want to pull away from that. They, 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 they want to drop faith or they want to stop going forward. But then some people learn, or they have teachers or professors that drag them along to go through those times of doubt, to come out to the other side to a deeper, richer, stronger understanding of their faith, a closer walk with Jesus, having been formed by the process to be more like him. Sometimes scripture, when you chew on it, is like wrestling with God. And in that wrestling, your faith, if you stick with it, gets stronger. John said, when I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll, he said to me, take it and eat it. It'll turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. Sometimes when you're reading the Psalms, they're beautiful and rich and exciting, and you get caught up in the wonder of what you're reading. And sometimes you wonder how that could be in the Bible. Sometimes when you read Jesus, he says something that lifts your heart. You're assured that you're loved unconditionally by the God of the universe. And sometimes he tells you what people who don't know him are like. And you realize he's holding up a mirror and you're wondering how in the world could that be? Sometimes it's sweet as honey, and sometimes it's sour. But the thing of it is, in the midst of that process, in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of that activity, you are being changed. It is a guarantee, an absolute promise, that if you develop a habit, a practice of engaging with Scripture, of gnawing on it, chewing on it, getting into it and wrestling with God in the midst of it, that you will be changed. You'll come to know God in a deeper way than you knew was possible. And you'll become more like Jesus in ways that you will notice and so will the people around you. So how do you do that, right? It's easy to say gnaw on Scripture, but what, what does that look like? First, I want to tell you this. If you want to read for formation, you need to read in small amounts. No more than a chapter at a time. Now, for some of you, that's good news because you don't really want to read more than a chapter at a time, and that's okay. But, but there's also this daunting feeling. Do you know how much is in here? If I only read a chapter at a time, I may never get through it all. Okay. That's Okay. Maybe you don't have enough time left to really get through much of the Bible going that slowly. Okay, that's okay. Take it in small chunks and let it change you. Be formed by it. And take a little bit, maybe just read. That when, I, when I mentioned John Wentz making a plan with me for devotions, that's what he did. He told me to read until I found something that spoke to me and then just think about it. All day. 
First and foremost, don't try to take on too much. Read small portions. By the way, if you go with our Bible reading plan, that's exactly the way it's set up for you as a chapter of the New Testament every day, five days a week. Another way to learn to to really gnaw on Scripture is to change the circumstances you're in when you read it. A number of years ago, I started a practice and probably did it longer than I should have, but it was a good practice. I would have chocolate every time I read the Bible. As you can see, maybe I went a little overboard, but the effect of that was actually significant. It changes the idea. You're not reading a thing that goes with a bran muffin. You're reading a thing that goes with something rich and deep and exciting and delicious. But it changes the tone of what you're doing. See the Bible as a piece of chocolate rather than cornflakes, right? Rather than something healthy that you don't really want. That process matters. That that tone matters. Another way to do it is to, to, to consciously think about this verse every time before you do your devotions. Psalm 34, verse 8 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You could pray that at the beginning of every devotional time. Pray it again at the end. Taste and see that the Lord is good. David says it again in Psalm 119. He says, your words, your laws are delicious. Your laws are delicious. He understood what this meant. He was taking it in. He was chewing on it. He was being changed and formed by it. How can you read for formation? You need to be intentional. You need to make a plan, and you need to follow it through. You spend time, and you let it change you. Now, I mentioned earlier that there were those two objections, and I was going to come back to talk a little bit about them, right? And the first one is this. Are devotions important? Now, I, I, I want you to imagine something with me for a moment. Imagine that you, you have a meeting with a friend or a family member, and and you haven't seen them for a while, but you meet for a meal or coffee or something. And you walk in and they are thin. Not just thin, they are bones. They're literally starving to death. And you say to them, what are you doing? Why aren't you eating? And they say, I just don't think eating is that important. Or I just, I just can't find time to eat. Now, we might say that when we skip a meal here or there, but none of us think that it's even possible to live a life in which you cannot find time to eat until you starve. I don't think it's important. That's never the way they say it. Usually, I I, I have someone who, who is a believer, says something, a person will say something else. They'll say, I can't find time. Or they'll say, I, I, I just keep forgetting, right? I, I forget. And I love you. Hear me, I love you. But when you tell me you can't find time to read the Word of God, I struggle. I smile and I nod and I tell you I understand, and I do. And if I've let it go without telling you that that's a ridiculous excuse, please forgive me. But maybe you are the one 
who actually doesn't have time. That could be you. That person probably exists. But hear me, you make time for the things you think are important. You just do. If you've got a loved one in surgery, you get up early and you go, right? You make time because a thing is important. Hear me. Some of you are starving. And the idea that, that you, just, you just can't make time, it doesn't work. You need to eat. You need to spend time in the Word. Now, as I'm talking to you, some of you are probably saying, man, he's pushing hard, and if that's you, it's okay. Let's talk about it afterwards. Some of you are probably feeling convicted, and I'm, I want to encourage you to lean into that. Let that be a motivation for change. If you're starving from lack of the word, you're finding that, that getting up and going to church is getting harder, and you're finding that, that, that having spiritual conversations is harder, and you're finding that making the right choice in this certain area is harder, and you're finding that your attitude is just not the way that you want to be, and you're finding that the words that come out of your mouth are not the ones that you wish were coming out of your mouth. That's what it looks like when you're starving. You need to eat. I want to encourage you. If you're not sure how to do this, it's this simple. Set your alarm 30 minutes earlier in the morning. And don't let anything distract you, right? Because you can set your alarm early and then spend an extra 30 minutes going through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Don't do that. Make the last thing before you leave your devotions. Just get up 30 minutes sooner. It's worth it. Even if you don't get enough sleep now, trust me, it's worth it. The other objection that people will make a lot of the times is, I just am not going to be able to understand. There's too much in here. I've tried reading and it didn't make any sense. And hear me, that's okay. It's kind of a weird thought to assume that you have to understand it for God to be able to form you with it. There's going to be parts you don't understand. There are parts that nobody understands. And when people tell you that they understand, you really hope that they're lying because they shouldn't be that self-deceived. Parts of the Bible are really difficult. That doesn't mean that you're not being changed and formed and made and transformed in the process. Don't let not understanding be a reason not to dive into the Word. And you'll find when you do it again and again and again that it really, truly does get easier. Now, if you're not sure where to start with all this, how do I go about reading the Bible? It's such a big and daunting thing. We have this reading plan that we're doing together, right? It has a chapter from the New Testament and a psalm for five days a week. It's a perfect amount for you to start with. And if you've already got one of those cards and you've never used it, that's okay. Get it out and start tomorrow. And don't feel like you've got to make up for all that you've missed. Right? If you start, I think that we're in John 15 or 16 starting tomorrow or this week. Start there. Don't feel like you've got to go and catch up. Just start there. Take it bit by bit. Form a habit. Let today be the last day you lived a life that was not filled with Scripture. Let today be the last day that someone could look at your life from the outside and say, this is not a person of the Word. 
Let that never be true for you again and start today and see how your life changes. But when we do this, this plan that we can do together, we can take this in and take this on together. Because if all of us are doing it, or many of us are, and we reach a part that we don't understand or something we need to talk about, we're all eating the meal together. We're all reading the same parts together, and we can go to one another. We can encourage and ask questions and be taught or mentor each other. It's a meal we can all take in together. And I hope that you'll do that. Now, if you're worried, I can't ask for one of those Bible reading plans because I never got one and now I'm embarrassed. Well, guess what? In the newsletter at the back, that reading plan has been reprinted. Take one of those on your way out and you've got it. And I would love to hear about what's happening in your life as you're digging into Scripture. The Lord comes before you. And he offers a scroll, a book. And he says, take this and eat. And you can choose to say no. You can choose to say, I'd rather do something else. You can choose to say, it's too hard. Or you can take the book he's made for you to be devoured and enjoyed and growled over by you. You can eat it, and you can be blessed and transformed in the midst of it. My hope is that you'll decide to take him in, to chew on Scripture, and you'll see that your life will never be the same. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you so thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you and we praise you for your word. Lord, we need your help. Convict us if we need convicting. Give us discipline. Encourage us. Drag us into a regular practice of reading your word. Let our lives be defined by it. Let, let it be the thing that begins our day every day or ends it every night. Let us live lives filled with the joy, the transformation that comes from being a reader of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.